Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning. Um, I will be reading Exodus 20, 1 through 2, Exodus 15, Luke 19, 1 through 10. So Exodus 21 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not steal. Luke 19, 1 through 10. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you um, that we're able to set this time aside to worship you. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit be at work, not only in us as we listen, but in Joel as well as he teaches us about who you are. God, please use this time to gather us all closer to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a former Navy SEAL named Don Shipley, and uh, he keeps a list uh, in his home of all of the classes who have ever graduated from the basic underwater demolition and SEAL training school. It's called BUDS for short. Um, and, And so at his house, he keeps a list of like every graduating class of BUDS, which is the entry point for Navy SEALs. So if someone wants to become a Navy SEAL, at some point they're going to have to go through this rigorous training and they're going to have to graduate as part of their pathway among other training things that they need to accomplish. And the reason why Don Shipley keeps this list at his house is because over the last 15 years with um, movies, books, and in other avenues, uh, the accomplishments of Navy SEALs working their way out into uh, broader popular culture, more and more people have felt like, I want that. I want to be a part of that. 
uh, to the point where they have uh, at times gone around saying, whether this is aspiring politicians or uh, the guy you run into in the mall wearing a uniform, saying, I'm a Navy SEAL. And uh, it raises questions of taking on uh, the identity and accomplishments of others that aren't really yours. Uh, the shorthand phrase for this is stolen valor. Uh, that is where you take on uh, the accomplishments, particularly are often related to the military, and you uh, take them on to yourself, presenting yourself as someone who has earned something that you haven't. And uh, Don Shibley was doing an interview with the local television station, and they were like, how many of these do you get? You know, like one or two a month or something. And he was like, sometimes it's like 30 requests a day uh, where people are f like emailing him or contacting him to try to figure out, is this person legitimate? Have they actually accomplished what they said they've done? And in the interview, and I want to make sure that I'm being clear here, this isn't a shot at accountants or plumbers. But in the interview with the local news station, he's like, it's weird. No one ever presents themselves walking around in a public way as being an accountant or a plumber. They don't steal the accountant's valor. They don't steal the plumber's value. valor. It's the Navy SEALs. What steams Don Shipley, as well as other members of the military, about stolen valor is not that it's a, about money, and it's not even often um, about like what, what they're wearing in any given moment. Usually material possessions really aren't even involved in this. But it, it's the taking upon oneself what often comes at great sacrifice and cost, an accomplishment or honor that's not earned. That is stealing. When we come to the Eighth Commandment, and it's very simple, uh, right? It would be an easy verse to memorize. Uh, we as a church have been going through the Ten Commandments. It, it can be easy for us to come to some of these commandments and say, yep, doesn't apply. Move on. And uh, with such a simple command, do not steal, we can make the mistake of thinking uh, well, I'm not actively robbing anyone. I haven't robbed anyone this past week. Uh, I, I, I don't even know how I would go about doing such a thing, so I'm good, and I'll move on to the next one. But much like stolen valor, the Eighth Commandment goes beyond money. And in fact, oftentimes, it's not always exactly uh, robbing someone of their cash. It can go to Money for sure, but it can also go to status, to relationships, to honor, to time. There are a variety of ways in which we can fail to give what's due to the people around us, or we can take what we haven't actually earned or deserved to ourselves. And in doing so, we need to do broader business with the Eighth Commandment. Understanding the Eighth Commandment going beyond money helps us connect with the Zacchaeus story. Because in the Gospel of Luke, Zacchaeus is coming into contact with Jesus. Jesus sees him. 
He invites him to meet with himself, and uh, they begin to think through Zacchaeus' life, and he becomes, in a sense, a model for us about what it looks like to think more expansively about the Eighth Commandment and then do something about it. To allow uh, faith in Jesus and Jesus' call on our own lives to actually say, wait, not only does this have something to do with the Eighth Commandment, but this transforms, this affects, this impacts how I think about where I go from here. In that way, this short story in Luke's Gospel of a man named Zacchaeus serves as a model for us. A model of not only recognizing the ways in which we fail— in following the Eighth Commandment, but serves as a model for helping us to repair where we have fallen short. And so we're going to look at it this morning in two points, the call of Jesus and response of joy. Here in Luke chapter 19, uh, Jesus has entered Jericho. Uh, Just for a, a quick bit of context, Jesus is moving toward the city of Jerusalem in preparation for the Last weeks of his life, uh, where he knows God has called him uh, to go and to meet with the authorities and what will eventually result in his crucifixion. And so he is on the road headed to the Roar Jerusalem, and he comes to the city of Jericho. And we then are introduced to a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. Now, I don't really like short jokes. I can't imagine for Zacchaeus here, if like it gets captured in your story in Scripture, you get like 10 verses devoted to you, and then one of those verses is highlighting that you are short of stature. It's like the song that you may have heard in Sunday school when you were growing up, that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree to see what he could see. Okay, I'm not going to sing you the song. You can, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or some other uh, avenue later. But like in that song, it repeats twice that Zacchaeus is short. Uh, And uh, so in some ways, really, that's not important to the story. What's important to the story is that Zacchaeus, not his stature, but that he had power. Through the Gospel of Luke, the people who had power and money were often the people who it was hardest to enter the kingdom of God. They oftentimes were the most self-reliant They at times were the most blind to their own spiritual fallenness, to the ways in which they did not have it all together. It could be papered over with money. And so here in the opening verses, we get some of this narrative unfolding about who Zacchaeus was. That he was someone who had power. He was a chief tax collector. That he was wealthy. So that uh, through his work, he was able to do well financially, and that he was seeking out to see Jesus, but he couldn't get there. It seems like the crowd, and it's not exactly clear what to make of this, the crowd obstructed Zacchaeus from getting to Jesus. Now, that could be that there were so many people there that he just couldn't see Jesus and couldn't get there because the crowd was that big. It could be that Zacchaeus wasn't liked very much, and so the crowd actively shouldered him out from having access to Jesus as he came through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. 
And so Zacchaeus does something that uh, grown men did not often do in the first century. I don't think they often do in the 21st century either, but he climbs a tree. He says, no one is going to stop me from seeing Jesus. And so he climbs up into a tree to see what he could see. And as he is looking out for Jesus, Jesus himself takes initiative to call Zacchaeus to himself. So he goes up. Jesus is about to pass in verse 4. And in verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, we don't know his motives. We get some of this narrative unfolding. He was somebody who had power. He was someone who had money. But he was someone who wanted something more. And so he goes trying to figure out just who is this Jesus and what is this about? The author, Luke, doesn't give us his motive. We're not exactly sure what was driving him. But what we do know is in his difficulty in the crowd keeping him out from seeing Jesus, Jesus himself takes initiative and calls Zacchaeus down. Jesus, uh, whether uh, through divine knowledge, uh, recognizing that Zacchaeus is there, or whether just passing that way and then seeing him in the tree and that being quite a sight of a grown man climbing up into a tree, calls him down and says, show me some hospitality, let's spend some time together. And uh, at this point, because of his reputation, the crowd is not too happy. In verse 7, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. In the first century... The company that you kept said something about your character. And maybe that's a little bit true today, but certainly back then, in a stronger way than we experience here in Montgomery County, back then, those who you associated with in their character said something about you and your character. And the people uh, didn't like Zacchaeus much. He had worked for the Romans. He served the foreign power that oppressed them. He was uh, lining the pockets of the people who controlled their promised land with their money, and they didn't have near as much of it as the Romans did. And this guy worked for them. So in a sense, he was one of us working for them. Not only that, he was helping them get rich while he himself was getting rich. Not only that, he was doing this with their power. Uh, And and so part of what made Zacchaeus powerful was not only his direct control, but that uh, in all that he did as a tax collector, there was always the Roman state that backed him, right? Uh, Someone comes and knocks on the door of your house, you don't know who they are, and they say, hey, would you give me some money? Then you feel the freedom to say, no, that's okay, I'm good. Uh, But uh, somebody from the state shows up and says, hey, give me some money, or else... Uh, you feel a bit more like you're going to have to do business with whatever it is that's going on. And and Zacchaeus was the second instance. When he came around asking for money, it was often a reflection of the power that backed him. So if anybody deserved to spend time with Jesus, if anyone had the opportunity to show Jesus hospitality, if anyone got some special attention from Jesus, why him? This is the sentiment of the crowd 
as Jesus calls to Zacchaeus and initiates time together. Part of why this is helpful, I think, for us is because Jesus, in a sense, is flipping the idea of stolen valor on its head. Jesus uh, didn't have to call to Zacchaeus. He didn't owe Zacchaeus anything. He entered in and associated with the people who most needed him. Uh, So Jesus was on the opposite end of the spectrum of stolen valor. valor. Jesus was there to bring about gracious redemption. Jesus was pursuing the very people who uh, couldn't achieve from themselves. No amount of power, no amount of wealth could earn them God's love. This, friends, is what's so amazing about God's grace. And maybe why Zacchaeus serves as a great model for you and I. This area and our church and our community is full of really competent people. People who are excellent. People who have, in some ways, extraordinary gifts in a variety of occupations and callings, uh, in, in a variety of avenues of life. And that can locate us Uh, in a place where we have our own spiritual blind spots and we don't see our own need of grace. We think, oh, we'll work it out. And so when we meet as a church and as we think through the reality of just how amazing God's grace is, our hope is that it is God's uh, initiative. It is Jesus showing up to call our hearts to himself. To say, listen, no amount of ability or skill is ever going to get you there. You are just as much in need of gracious gracious redemption as Zacchaeus. And so when we see Zacchaeus, we can think, wait, maybe we have more in common with him than we know. We certainly share the need for God's grace and the call of Jesus. That's what makes grace so amazing is that God would love and care for us enough to show up, to take initiative by the power of his spirit to work in our lives, to invite us to commune with him, to share even into his own family being adopted in by paying what we owe and giving us what we didn't deserve. It can be hard for us to think that we need that. It can be hard to think that we deserve that. And yet, the story of Christianity is one of God's amazing grace for you. That this grace is available to you through faith, not through uh, navigating in some uh, special pathway of life, not through achieving some career or life steps, but rather through falling at the feet of Jesus in faith. So Zacchaeus hears this call, the people grumble, but Zacchaeus himself has a response of joy. In verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus responds, he comes down. In verse 6, he receives Jesus with joy, and he begins to demonstrate a life that is transformed in verse 8. He gives half of his stuff away, not because he's now trying to earn God's favor, but because Jesus has shown up, and I think he's turned to Jesus in faith in a way that compels him 
to not only recognize the ways in which he's violated the Eighth Commandment, but then make repair, begin to make good on it. And so he goes above and beyond. In Zacchaeus' day, to give away 20% of your wealth uh, to the poor would be considered extraordinarily generous. Like, that was the high end. Uh, So if you're doing less than that, fine. But if you hit up to 20%, then you were considered in that day and place very generous. Zacchaeus goes to 50%. Moreover, uh, through this transformed view of God's amazing grace and what that means for his life, Zacchaeus, knowing that he has extorted or defrauded his neighbors of money, decides, I'm going to make good on it. And I'm not only going to make good on it, I'm going to make good on it above and beyond what I would owe. In Zacchaeus' day, it was 20% of what you defrauded someone is what you would pay them back. So you'd pay them back what you owed, and then you'd give them 20% on top of that, in a sense, to make it right. Zacchaeus decides that he's going to pay back what he owes and then add 300% to make them whole. In the Westminster Larger Catechism. And if you're not familiar with that, in our uh, tradition, it's a theological unpacking of what the Bible says through questions and answers. And in the Larger Catechism, it walks through, in fact, many of our confessions of sin over the past weeks have been based on the Larger Catechism's unfolding of what is required or what is forbidden. As it works through in question 140, it says, what is the Eighth Commandment? We read it earlier. You may have it memorized by now. Thou shalt not steal, right, or do not steal. That's the Eighth Commandment. And then in question 141, it asks, what are the duties required in the Eighth Commandment? And 142, what are the sins forbidden? And I appreciate how the Westminster Larger Catechism unfolds things because Zacchaeus is giving us this narrative model of what it looks like not only to stop doing the things that you've done of old, but to make it right, to bring about repair, to pursue that. So in a sense, he's stopping the sins that are forbidden and he's beginning to fulfill the duties required. And there's both a negative and a positive aspect in the catechism for us to think about God's commands, which is helpful for us because if we're prone to think uh, do not steal means just don't rob people, then uh, we uh, can easily fulfill that part. But if we begin to challenge ourselves and say, wait a second, this has something much deeper to say in our lives and in how we respond to Jesus, then there's more to it. If Whoever has the clicker, and I'm not sure who, can you go to the next slide? Okay, look, so I put this up here for you just so if you want to refer it later. Westminster Larger Catechism 140 to 142. And then I'm just going to touch on, look, here's how we could do business with this as a church community today. So in the same way in which Zacchaeus, having received Jesus with joy, having turned to him in faith, uh, recognizing the ways in which he had violated the Eighth Commandment and trying to make it right, his life begins to be transformed. So too for us, for people who've come into contact with Jesus. Remember, and we've repeated this or emphasized this throughout the series, the law is not there for us either just to feel really bad about ourselves alone It's also not there for us to begin to step our way up to heaven through behavior modification. That doesn't work. The law is there for us as Christians to recognize the ways in which we've fallen short of God's commands and invite or push us to Jesus in faith. And then there's this third use that as we come into contact with Jesus and we begin to say, how do I navigate life? 
The law can function as a guide for helping us to know in our day-to-day how do we move forward. And the Westminster Larger Catechism maps this out. So for the duties required, if you give someone your word on something, follow through. Make every effort to make good on it. If you borrow something from someone, please return it and return it as in close to as good a shape as you received it, if not better. There's a way to passively violate the Eighth Commandment. Is when you need a tool or uh, something to help you out in life and you borrow your friends or your neighbors, and then you just kind of conveniently forget who that belongs to. So it just stays with you. Uh, I think, at least how the Westminster Catechism, and I think there's a pretty strong biblical case, they would say, hey, I think that's passively stealing uh, other people's stuff. And so when you borrow something, return it. When you are navigating life, particularly at work or in business, look out for others. Think through not just what you can get out of things, but how this impacts uh, the business owners, the workers there, the other people who uh, may uh, shop there. Think of how it impacts the neighborhood. Recognize that God is the bottom line that drives our decisions. And this is important for us in our current societal moment because oftentimes it seems like the ends justify whatever means you want. If the ends are profit, that can lead you into all sorts of Eighth Commandment violations. So I just want you to hear that. It's important for us as Christians to think beyond just uh, where can profit be found, but instead to think through if God and what he's called us to do is the bottom line, then that has more weight than how we may profit. So by doing those things, we can positively fulfill the duties required. But then there's the sins forbidden. Stealing, of course, don't steal. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. Even if you think it's small, it's not an excuse. Even if you think they're not going to miss it or they don't appreciate it, it's not. Even if you think, you know, this person or this business, they've done me dirty in the past, and so this is just a small way to bring about my own sort of repair or justice, that is not an excuse. It's still violations of the Eighth Commandment. Don't conduct your affairs in a fraudulent way. Now, everybody knows that, but uh, maybe to put it positively, uh, have honesty and integrity in all that you do, even when other people aren't looking. Maybe especially when other people aren't looking, because as Christians, we know that God sees. And so when he calls us uh, to uh, live up to the eighth commandment, when he forbids us from sinful behavior, he's not just saying, like, don't don't get caught. Uh, That's not how the commandments work. Rather, he's saying, because of my character and who I am, I'm calling you to live a life accordingly. During the pandemic, there was a a run. You probably know this. There was like a run on hand sanitizer. You know this? Hand sanitizer for a while was harder to get. And uh, there were stories about how people would go to stores and buy every available bottle of hand sanitizer and then sell it for like a 3,000% markup where like Amazon had to, or 
e-commerce businesses had to, to stop uh, allowing the sale because people were getting gouged so bad. So uh, there is a cultural narrative that would say, oh, that's just smart business. Somebody saw an opportunity, they just went after it, and then they made some cash. What's wrong with that? I'm here to tell you, friends, an application of the Eighth Commandment is to look at that same set of circumstances, and even though it wasn't unlawful, in a sense, even though uh, that person did well, or people, it doesn't make it right. When we think about the things that we can do and what that may get us, as Christians, we're called to uh, navigate through like Zacchaeus does as a positive model. So, so not only how is it permissible for me to use my resources and smarts to get things, uh, but uh, does that actually help care for or show love to the people around me? Does that honor God and others? Sometimes just because something is permissible or even uh, encouraged by society at large doesn't make it in line with what God would call us to do and be as Christians. And so that's why Zacchaeus, as a model for us, helps us to think through, wait, how do I stop doing the things forbidden and start doing the duties required as a response of joy? When Jesus announces in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, where he gave his life up to bring honor to you and I, where Jesus paid the price that we could not pay, Jesus is inviting us in to participate with transformed lives into that reality. And so what it means is when we think about opportunities to get a foot up or to make an extra buck, we think about those things always in light of the amazing grace that we've already received because nothing is more valuable than God's grace to us. And so as we go through lives in our various uh, households, uh, whether individually or uh, as a couple or as a, a family, uh, in our friendships and in our workplaces— we are to not only take joy in the amazing grace that we've received through Jesus and what he's done for us, we are to actively work through and think through how would this transform my life and how I treat others. Notice there, it's not asking like uh, what's legal within our current structure in the time and place we live, but rather maybe what honors God. How do I receive the grace that God has given with joy? And how do I live a transformed life accordingly? I've tried to map out just a few of the applications of what that may begin to look like for us as a community, but it's endless. It involves the day in and day out asking of yourself uh, when you're engaging with those around them. Uh, am I operating from the source of God's amazing grace to me? And that's what motivates and drives how I engage with others. Or am I just out to get what I can get? I think there's a push to say, I'm just out to get what I can get. Zacchaeus serves as a model, as a call, as an invitation for us as a community to say, how can we do and be more in how we live together with others? How can we model God's grace to those around us? God took initiative to reach out to us. Jesus calls to you. The power of God's Spirit works in your lives to make you alive. We can respond and transform lives. 
that honor God in all that we do. That's what it means to not only fulfill the duties required of the Eighth Commandment, but avoid the sin it forbids. Let me pray for strength for us to do that. Got to ask that you will watch over us and care for us as a community, encourage our hearts, and lead us to love you in the ways in which we publicly operate, for sure, but also the ways in which we uh, make decisions and engage others which are often unseen. God, I ask that we would be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.